And let's pray as we seek to hear God's voice. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that the Lord Jesus is alive and that he is present with us. And we pray now that we would hear him speak to us. We ask that you would open our ears and our hearts so that we would understand and would be changed. And so that we might live to his glory. Because we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a, uh, a very familiar passage, a very familiar story to many of us. But I just want to run through it briefly, just to pick up some of the things that are, that are happening here, to put it into context. And then I, I have, naturally, three um, alliterative points to make off the back of that. What has happened? I think sometimes um, we sort of lose the coherence of the story over the Friday through the Sunday. What has happened? How can we imagine ourselves into the situation of Mary Magdalene this morning? Well, this is what has happened. On Friday, out of nowhere, after a sudden arrest, Jesus of Nazareth has been arrested and killed, put to death after a sham trial, and he's been buried. The death was unusually quick for a crucifixion, but nonetheless horrific for all that. And Jesus is dead. 24 hours have passed since then. It was the Sabbath. As observant Jews, Jesus' followers rested. They rested even though they knew that the job of burying their Lord was only half done. They hadn't finished properly embalming him. But, to be honest, they had been lucky to get as far as they had. Normally, the bodies of criminals were just chucked into a pit somewhere to rot. Still, they wait on the Sabbath. On Sunday morning, they go to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, John tells us, goes to the tomb, first of all, very early. Sees, as Tom was telling us, the stone removed and runs back to get the disciples. Peter and John run and get there, go inside and look. And John tells us that he believed at that point. He saw and believed. He didn't understand from the scriptures that this was, of course, what had to happen to Jesus. But he believed something. And then, and I find this striking, the disciples went back to where they were staying. They got there, they looked around, they thought, it looks like Jesus is actually alive again. Let's go home. (laughs) But then... What else could they do? There was nothing else to do there. There was no reason to linger. And yet Mary does linger, weeping. Now clearly she hasn't had that moment of belief that John reports he had had. She she is just distraught. And although she can't do anything useful in the situation, she just hangs around the tomb weeping. 
Perhaps Peter and John are thinking, well, what else can we do? We'll go. Mary is thinking, where else can I go? I'll stay here. And then John says, as she wept and looked into the tomb, she saw two angels seated where Jesus' body had been. Now, what's remarkable about this encounter with these two angels is that almost whenever angels appear on the scene in Scripture, the reaction of the human beings who encounter them is terror, fear. Angels are such creatures that they're not casually encountered by us. But Mary is so upset and so focused that she has no fear. The angels ask her why she is crying. They've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they have put him. Her only focus is the body of the Lord. Where have they put him? Not even two angels mysteriously appearing in the tomb are going to throw her off from her desire to honour the body of her crucified master. So she turns around, leaves the angels sitting in the tomb, and sees the gardener. Well, the gardener might know. Have you taken his body away? If you have, I won't put you to any trouble. Just tell me where he is, and I will go and sort it out. And Jesus says her name, and everything changes. Mary. And it pierces through her grief, and she sees, and it is Jesus. She can't hold on to him, Jesus says. Do not hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Mary reminds me um, a little bit of uh, my children when they were a little bit younger and you, you get occasional bouts of separation anxiety. You know, hanging on. You went away once, I'm not going to let you go away again. Children, you just have to sort of shake off. She can't hold on to him. He is ascending. But instead, Jesus commissions Mary to be his first witness. Go. Go to my brothers and tell them. And she went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. What an amazing story. And how much changes for world history, for Mary, for the disciples, for us, over the course of this story. Everything gets turned around and flipped upside down. Well, I want to say three things. Three things about this story. And I'll, I'll be honest, um, they're neither particularly original nor in themselves particularly profound. But let's not worry too much about that. Let's look to Jesus. Let's see what we can see about him. And the first thing I want to say is just this. The resurrection of Jesus was real. Real. Real in the sense that his body, which had been dead, was now really alive. You sometimes uh, hear people talk about 
the fact that the disciples must have had a powerful spiritual experience. And that led them to believe that Jesus was still alive. Or you hear people say, well, they just desperately wanted it to be true and in some sort of form of wish fulfillment had this experience of Jesus being alive. Or Jesus had told them that he was going to come back to life and they just really, really believed it and screwed themselves up to the point of faith where they really thought it had happened. But that just isn't the way the story runs. Mary isn't waiting and expecting the risen Jesus. She isn't hoping for anything other than to find the body and to be able to treat it with some kindness. That's all she wants. And when she is confronted with the risen Christ, it cuts across all of her expectations. It's completely new to her. It's something that bursts through her despair in a way that she could never have anticipated. It is real. I think, actually, there's um, good reason to believe that people who know that somebody has died would not prima facie assume on seeing them that they were alive again. It would take significant, substantial, solid, real evidence to believe that. And Mary doesn't believe it until she has the solid body of Jesus risen and alive in front of her. The, uh, the novelist John Updike wrote uh, seven stanzas for Easter, um, and the first one runs like this. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. He is saying... It was real. If it wasn't real, it was nothing. He goes on in a later stanza to write, Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence. Let's not make of it a parable or a sign. No, this isn't some amazing spiritual occurrence. It is a real, dead human being, really alive again. And I think that reality, and this is a subjective judgment, so you'll have to assess for yourself, but I think the reality of this event bleeds through John's account so clearly. This is, frankly, the account of a confused and emotional person. It is not a sort of neutral analytical write-up of a resurrection. The emotion of Mary hits you clearly. She was there. She felt it and saw it. And I think that's true of all of the gospel records of Jesus' resurrection appearances, but particularly, if I'm honest, of John's gospel. This is the story of somebody who knows because they were there. John himself says that he writes his gospel, this is uh, 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He writes because these things happened in real time and space, 
in such a way that had we been there, we too would have seen them and experienced them as reality. But because we were not there, John has written it down so that we too will have access to this reality. Jesus is really alive. That is a real event in the series of other events that make up human history, albeit completely inexplicable with regard to the rest of human history. A bolt out of the blue, but nevertheless, a bolt that hits the middle of human history with a real impact. He is really risen. I labour the point a little bit because I think that as Christians, we often say that of course we know that he is really risen. But that that has depressingly little impact on the way that we live our lives Monday through Saturday. Not accusing anybody except primarily myself. If he is really alive, if it is a real thing, not just a spiritual thing, not just a religious thing that we can think about on Sunday morning, but a real thing, a thing that happened in the real, normal, everyday, solid world of stuff, then that matters. That world of stuff is transformed by this one event. And that's the second thing I want to say. The resurrection of Jesus is revolutionary. If it is real, it is revolutionary. If it happened, everything changed. History swings right around on this event. History up until the resurrection of Christ has been death following death following death. Only here does it pivot around Life following death. Death conquered and new life come. John, I think, paints the picture in, in three ways. Firstly, for Mary. Think about how revolutionary this is for Mary Magdalene. At the beginning of the story, there is nothing but despair. Nothing but tears. She is lost. We need to remember, this is not just somebody weeping for a friend. It is that. It is Mary weeping for for somebody she loves as a human master and teacher and Lord. But it is more than that. Mary is weeping for the loss of the hope of Israel. Mary had believed, as had all Jesus' disciples, that this man Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was going to revive Israel's fortunes, who was going to put God's plan for the world back on track. And he had died. She is not just grieving as we would grieve any loved one lost to death. She is grieving that as far as she can tell, God's plan has once again been derailed by human sin. Once again, as throughout Israel's history, sin has ruined everything. God's deliverer has been killed. The one who was meant to bring victory has been defeated. 
It is despair. Now, despair is not just upset. Despair is the bottom of a pit with no way out. Despair is the absence of any possible escape. And that is where Mary is at the beginning of our passage. It's over. Death is final. And yet, she hears the Lord Jesus call her name. And at that point, she knows. And at that point, despair disappears and turns into joy. So much joy that she grabs him and won't let go. He is alive. It's a personal revolution for Mary. And many of us could testify that we have had a similar experience of meeting the risen Jesus. Not physically, but spiritually, and finding that he breaks through our despair and brings us to new hope. It's not just revolutionary for Mary, it's revolutionary for all of the disciples. You see, the, uh, the message that Jesus gives Mary to carry, don't hold on to me, I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I want to dwell on that and unpick it a bit more in a moment because... It's the most astonishing thing. But for now, just see, everything has changed for those disciples. They don't know it yet. They don't know it until Mary comes and tells them. And to be honest, there's pretty good evidence that when she did come to tell them, they weren't entirely convinced. But everything has changed for them. Everything has changed because now the relationship that Jesus enjoys with his Father and God is shared with them through his resurrection. And on that, I want to talk at length in a moment. Everything has changed for Mary. Everything has changed for the disciples. Actually, everything has changed for Jesus. When Mary wants to hold on to Jesus, she is essentially saying, I want it all all back the way it was, back before you died. I want you to walk around Galilee with us again. I want it to be the way it was. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm ascending to the Father. It's not going to go back to the way it was. But it is going to be better. The Lord Jesus, his victory won, having borne sin, borne God's wrath, taken it away to death, and come back again, He is now ascending to be with his Father. The Scottish theologian Rabbi Duncan said, the dust of earth now sits on the throne of the universe. Something new has happened here. The human Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is ascending to his Father's throne to take charge of history to take charge of the unfolding of his plan, to take charge of his people's destiny. 
revolutionary even for Jesus, and therefore for the universe as a whole. But what I really want to say, and everything has been leading up to this, is that the resurrection of Jesus is profoundly relational. John brings it out for us so clearly in his record. Everything hinges on Jesus speaking Mary's name. Up until that point, he's just the gardener. Up until that point, as far as she is concerned, there is still a body somewhere which she needs to find. But when Jesus addresses her personally, Mary, that is when it all turns around. That is when everything becomes different for Mary. And that, I think, is what Jesus is talking about when he says that she should go to the disciples and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The resurrection of Jesus is not primarily just about establishing a new fact in the middle of history. It is about establishing new relationships. And Jesus is saying, as I ascend, through the power of my resurrection, you, as my followers, will become not just my followers, but, did you see what he called them? My brothers. Because of my death and resurrection, my Father is now your Father. My God is now your God. The eternal relationship which the Son of God has enjoyed with his Father is, by the resurrection, something into which we as Jesus' followers are welcomed. We will be Jesus' brothers and sisters, sons of the Father, enjoying the same access to God the Father which the eternal Son has always enjoyed, enjoying the same status before God as the eternal Father has always enjoyed. That is what the resurrection of Jesus accomplishes for his followers, for us, as we trust in him. I don't think Mary probably got it at the time. When she is holding on to him, isn't that just a logical not to say emotional and natural response. I've got you alive again. You're going nowhere. But remember that Jesus had said to his disciples before his crucifixion, I'm in John chapter 16, verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Mary just wants back the old relationship that that she had with Jesus. The relationship that she enjoyed with Jesus right up till Thursday. But what Jesus is offering is a new relationship. I will go to the Father and the Holy Spirit will come and I will live in you and with you. Christians, I think we often 
think to ourselves that everything would be better, easier, more straightforward, more enjoyable, more glorious if Jesus was physically here. And there's an instinct in that which is not wrong. One day we will see him as he is and it will be glorious and it will be the best thing. But in the here and now, Jesus says, it is better for you that I ascend. It is better for you that I go away because you will enjoy a new intimacy with me by the Holy Spirit. He will come to live in you I will come by him to live in you. Jesus is with the Father. He has ascended to the Father. But from his Father's throne, he pours out his Holy Spirit on his people so that we can know him more intimately than Mary Magdalene knew him at any point up until this one. He is not just with us, but in us. And if we still feel the lack of that, all I can say is, it is a promise. It is a promise that Jesus made. I will come to you and dwell with you. And it is a promise that we need to pray that we would see unfold in our lives. That we would know it. That we would feel it. That it would be real to us. If there's any lack in our experience of the risen Christ, can I say it is not through any defect in his resurrection. He is alive and ascended to the Father. But perhaps it is in our openness to his presence. Perhaps there is some defect, I know there is, in our willingness to receive him. The resurrection of Jesus is a fact, but not a brute fact. What John is recording, what he is witnessing to, is not the resurrection as an abstract event, but the risen Jesus as a living, personal, present Lord. And he records it so that we too can believe, so that we too can be in on this, so that it isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but something, someone, who lives and rules now. And can I say, he is speaking now. I make no pretensions to my ability to speak, but I will claim the promise of Jesus that when his word is opened, he speaks. And I believe that he is speaking to us now, by name. I don't even know all of your names, to my shame. Come and introduce yourself afterwards. And I certainly don't know all of your hearts and the things that you need to hear. But the Lord Jesus is alive and he knows you as he knew Mary, as he knew every deep desire and longing that she had, every need that she had, he knew. And he knows for you.
And I believe that he is calling you this morning. Just speaking your name. And as with Mary, that is all it takes. He speaks our names and we know he knows us. He is alive. He is with us. He calls us. Everything is different. We are not able, any more than Mary was, to hold on to the body of Jesus. He's not here, he's ascended. But we are able, as she was, to cling to him by faith. Faith is the empty hand which reaches out and grabs the reality of this event, the reality of the living Jesus, and says, I will hold on to you and I will not let go. And whereas Jesus had to say to Mary, don't hold on to me, I am ascending, he will never say to us, stop clinging to me by faith. But he will always say, hold on to me and I will hold on to you. And as we do that, as we enjoy the relationship with the risen Jesus which he offers us in the here and now, let's not overlook the fact that Mary receives a commission. Go and tell. Go and tell. Because we will get this wrong if we assume that what the risen Jesus is doing is just speaking to us for our comfort. The message of the resurrection is profoundly relational, but it is also wide, broad, universal in its application. He is risen in public, in the real world. And so as we enjoy relationship with him through the Holy Spirit, we too are commissioned to go and tell. He is alive. This new relationship with God is available to you. Go and tell. I don't know where you're at. For some of us, we're probably not really convinced that this was real. What I love about Mary is that the only reason she gets to be the first witness, the first one, is that she just hangs around the empty tomb. Can I say, there is an empty tomb in the middle of history. If you're not sure what happened there, just hang around. The risen Jesus may meet you. Spend some time in the accounts. Read the ends of the Gospels. Just linger there for a while. See what happens. For some of us, we believe here that it was real, that it happened. But we're thrown by the fact that it doesn't seem to have been revolutionary. You know, by the time we get to the end of John's Gospel, life seems to have gone pretty much back to normal. And that order of 
death following death following death has marched on, not even caused to pause by the resurrection of Jesus. And so we wonder, does it really change my life? Does it really change my situation? All I can say is, it is not down to us. My faith in the resurrection is not what changes the course of history. The resurrection of Jesus is what changes the course of history. He has done it. He is doing it. All that is required of us is that we trust him and look to him to complete his work of making everything new, both in us personally and in his whole creation. If there was anything we could do, anything we could bring, if it was a revolution we could start and carry through, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to go to the cross and rise again. But he has done that. So the revolution is on his shoulders, not ours. Let's look to him. But for all of us, for all of us, what we need, what we need to hear, is the voice of the risen Christ speaking to us. He speaks today through the preaching of his word, through the reading of Holy Scripture. He speaks. I believe he is speaking to us now. The question is, will we hear him? Will we accept him as the one who lives, as the one who brings us to God, as the one who has done everything necessary so that we can enjoy eternal life with him, resurrection life with him. Let me pray and then I'm going to hand back to Pat. We thank you and bless you again, Father, for the risen Jesus that he lives eternally. We thank you for the hope that he extends to us. And we pray that we would hear his voice. We pray that we would be transformed by his presence with us as the living Lord. We pray that you would help us to cling to him by faith. And we pray that this week you would enable us to live as those who know that the resurrection is real, that it has happened, and that Jesus is alive, because we pray in his name. Amen.